Blog Talk Radio. about kings and queens. We are the original man. 
and this is very important to today's topics, actually. And what we're going to talk about on Our Own Voices Live is my accident that I had last Sunday morning, the importance of the Rio Olympics to the African diaspora, and Corin Gaines. Corin Gaines. Have you all heard about this young lady that lost her life? No, her life was taken from her. If you didn't, you're going to hear a little bit about it today. So welcome, everyone, to Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a radio show hosted by yours truly, Rodney Smith and Mrs. Angela Thomas. Uh, she's been on vacation. She's back. Didn't, didn't know I was going to do the show today because I was in an accident, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it myself. But here I am. Maybe she'll join us later. But if not, you got me, and feel free to call in at area code 347-826-9600. 347-826-9600. And uh, let's, let's talk. Let's talk about some of these issues. Let's talk about why they are issues and why maybe some of them are still issues after all of these years. Well, before we do that, let me tell you a little bit about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the culture, cultural and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. And some of the ways we do it is with shows like Our Own Voices Live. Of course, we have Brother Thomas Ferry with Rant Radio and Brother Lee Vaughn is radio address, established to address life. And, of course, we have on terrestrial radio Brother Franklin G with Like It Is Radio on KCEP, the power station, 88.1, right here in our fair city in Las Vegas every Friday, 10 a.m. Well, normally we come on at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That'd be 3.30 p.m. for those of you on the East Coast. I like to call it the right coast. I know I'll get some calls about that. I'm originally from the East Coast, but now I am out West, and I call it home, but it'll always be the left coast to me. So you know where the right coast is. Who rocks the most? East Coast. I am feeling so much better today than I have been feeling. Uh, mainly because I had been in a, a car accident. And that will, you know, take its toll a little bit on a brother, or for that matter, anybody else. And I wanted to dive into that a little bit because it was a hit-and-run accident. And we do have some slightly heavy topics because I also want to talk about the Rio Olympics. And I want to know if you all really know the significance, the importance of having the Olympics in Rio. Give us a call, 347-826-9600. Press option one to talk and share if you know. And then also we want to talk a little bit about, we want to talk some about Corinne Gaines. I'll admit, I don't know the whole story because, you know, we get so much stuff from the media, from from the 
the popular media, the major media outlet, that you don't know what is and what isn't. But let's delve into it because this was another loss of life. And it was at the hands of police. But this time, it wasn't an African-American man or a young African-American adult, male. It was an African-American female, a woman. Not only that, but she had a child, her child. And her, I believe he was five years old, was also shot. What does that say about us? Not just the police. What does that say about us as a society and, and as a country? So we're gonna we're gonna jump into those. We're gonna delve into those things. Uh, but before we go any further, as many of you know, this show was started wow, a long time ago, and <laughs> it would not have come into being had it not been for my co-host, Mrs. Angela Thomas. She's been on vacation, but I believe she's back now. So let's all welcome. Back to the show, Mrs. Angela Thomas. Uh-huh. Hey, Angela, how are you? Hey, what's good, everybody? What's going on, Rodney? You know, it's a blessing to have you on the mic this week. I, I just want to say how thrilled I am that you are feeling much better and so much better that you, you know, you're on the air this week. That was a, a very significant and serious accident uh, that crossed your path and and interrupted your travels and harmed your body, caused you to have to, you know, curtail your activity and, and your your normalcy. And I'm very grateful to God that you're okay. Well, thank you so much. And I will second that emotion. I am quite thankful to all the powers that and the highest power for helping me make it through. Uh, Hell you. This is, I guess in a way it's not funny, but when I think about it, it does make me chuckle. And well, that's the, good. Uh, you can claim, laugh about it. You know you're truly well, over it claim, when you, you find the humor in it. Well, I'm not going to say I'm over it because that's why we're probably going to do a shorter show today because it does take me a little extra effort to set up, and I do have some issues. But I, the claims adjuster called me yesterday, and he had gone out, the insurance claims adjuster, he had gone out to look at the car. And as many of you know, I posted some pictures of it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And it took me a little while to get to the phone because I'm not 100%. And once I got to the phone, I was able to answer it. And, you know, he was leaving a mess in the process of leaving a message. And uh, he asked me if I was Rodney Smith. And I said yes. And he was so surprised. It was in his voice, and he even stated how surprised he was. Hmm. And I had apologized for being slow to answer the phone. And he said to me, he says, well, please, uh, you don't have to apologize to me because after going out to look at your vehicle, and I not only looked at your vehicle, I got under your vehicle as much as I could to see the damage. And he said, not only was your trunk pushed in and destroyed and buckled under, he says that the rails underneath your car have been buckled and underneath your car is damaged. Wow. 
And and I, I sort of figured that because I felt like I had been moved in my seat, like the whole seat mm-hmm. had moved. And mm-hmm. I I wasn't able to, when I finally came to a stop, I wasn't able to get the car all the way, put the car all the way in park. There was something wrong with the transmission. And I wasn't even able to get the key out the ignition. And he says, um, he says, after looking at your car, I didn't think that the occupant, Mr. Smith, to be quite frank, I didn't think you had survived. Or if you mm-hmm. had survived, that you probably would be in the hospital and not be in a position to talk right now. Wow. And I guess the reason why I say, you know, now I look at it and kind of chuckle is because he was genuinely curious if I actually was Rodney Smith because he was so sure that either I had not made it or I was going to be in such bad shape that I would still be in the hospital. So I give thanks for all power, all glory, hallelujah, hosanna, in the highest, to the highest. Because when the claims adjuster don't think you made it and is willing to public, you know, state that, that's pretty big. Significant. It really is. Um, it's amazing. So, I'm, you know, as I, I, as I said, I'm really happy that you're on the mend. And, you know, I personally know how important that is. I, I have been in several accidents. Uh, one so significant that I had to go to the hospital for a, a, a long time and then leave the hospital and go to rehab and, and really get my motor skills back together. So I know personally how, how fortunate you are. And, Angela, this this was a hit-and-run accident. Only whoever it was hit me. And, and kept going. Kept going. Well, I won't say they just kept going because, well, so for those, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I did want to talk about it because, and I and I appreciate and thank to everyone, uh, my Facebook friends, for posting and wishing me well and, and sending uh, in it positive energy, uh, healing energy, and a lot of prayers. That's me. right. <laughs> uh, I I needed it all. And as Angela said, I am here uh, to the surprise of uh, my claims adjuster, and I, uh, you know, and, and I, I appreciate that, and I want you all to know that it does make a difference when you're down and you see that maybe somebody is thinking about you and willing to take time to share their their prayers and blessings with you. So. So thanks to you all uh, for that. Uh, but yes, I. So let me let me just tell everybody. Well, first of all, Andrew, you've been gone for a while. So before we even get into that, uh, why don't you give us, you know, whatever you're willing to share, a quick update on your forever vacation and, <laughs> and some of the things going on in your life. I have been a bit of a backpacker, and you ran for office. I ran for my backpack and uh, went to Seattle a few times and uh, went home to Chicago for the first time in eight years. Um, just a lot of traveling, man. Just Dallas, been been a few places, took care of a few things. 
Getting back to me. You know. know. Out there doing big stuff, hanging out with the family. You know what? It was really, that's that's what it was, a a reacquainting myself with, with family. And, you know, going back home was very cathartic and very, uh, much more emotional than I thought it, it was going to be. I must say, I was not a willing participant to go back to Chicago, but I'm so glad I did. So glad okay. I did. Weren't happy to go back home, were you? No, I wasn't ready to go back. Um, for whatever reason, after my grandmother passed away, I got home from the funeral and it just took me eight years to get on a plane and get back after that. I, I just, it really, her death really took the 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 sweet out of the sugar for me. And I just couldn't go back. But I'm glad I've gotten past that. And I was glad to go home. My, my sister and my brother-in-law bought a beautiful new home in Bolingbrook, Illinois. And we uh, blessed their home and... Went all over my city and reacquainted myself with the space. It's it's amazing. I, I know Chicago is in the news for a lot of really terrible things, and don't think they stopped because I came to visit. And all prayers that everybody said for me that knew I was going home. In fact, when I told you, Rodney, you like, you sure? You going home? Now? Wow. Okay. Well, you be safe. All of that positive energy and and well wishes was definitely needed because it was, you know, it was still a lot of uh sad sad things going on in my city as as we do this story today Chicago's in the headlines again for shooting another unarmed black man uh young man 18 years old. So uh but I must say that I saw a lot of positivity, a lot of positive improvement, and I left there um, reinvigorated and uh, fire stoked about what's to come for my city and for the young people there. Mm. Well, that's, uh, you know, I think that maybe in the very near future, we should probably do a show on uh your take of Chicago, and maybe there's a perspective that for those of us who are not there and may not have any direct uh, connections to it can get an understanding or just some firsthand information outside of the regular, uh, you know, the the media, uh, the popular media, because maybe sometimes there's a, a spin on it that is different than those people who were there would put on. So I, I look forward to, to doing a show on that and seeing how that, uh, you know, gives some insight. Because we could probably give some insight on Las Vegas that people who are not here wouldn't know about. Uh, simply Absolutely. because of the way that the news is conveyed to, Ab- to them. Absolutely. And I want to say uh, in my adventures, traveling outside of Las Vegas for these past few months. I, as a Las Vegan, I think we we sometimes suffer, and, and this could be said for the Chicagoans too, we sometimes suffer for not being able to see the forest for the trees. 
and we don't realize how much capital and how much ground we've gained because we don't have the perspective of the outsider looking in. But I tell you, Rodney, everybody that I told, uh, yeah, I live in Las Vegas. The biggest smiles came across their face. The Their arms stretched out. They started hugging me, uh, telling me, oh, my God, you live in Las Vegas? That's fantastic. Um, this happened every single time it came out of my mouth, literally. Uh, so that told me that in spite of all the things that we have to improve upon, we are doing a really great job because we make a lot of people happy. And every person I encounter, no matter uh, what their station in life was, no matter what their position was, they all had the warm and fuzzies for Las Vegas. And they have nothing but great things to say about us, fond memories that they've uh that they have from experiencing us and that really helped me because I was at a at a crossroads of whether I even really wanted to continue to stay here and you know just thinking about maybe doing some different things and it the trip really helped me to see that the best is yet to come because people are expecting great things. All right, now. Well, there, there's your uplifting message, uh, and we need <laughs> to have that. I was uh, I was chatting with a young lady on Facebook last night, and she was saying how she needed to reset. And when I when I read that, I thought, you know, because she's out here, she's like in the trenches, in, in the fight, trying to, you know, doing some community building on, and not just for what's going on right now, but she actually projected ahead and is in preparation so that the community, the people can, you know, be uh, sort of proactive instead of reactive. And when I read that she needed to to reset, I was thinking, you know, this is a beautiful thing because she's been in the fight. And she realizes that you just can't keep fighting, 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 and fighting without taking some time out for yourself. Because look at our yes, major a export. Taking a toll. Absolutely. Uh, look at our major export into the world, boxing. What happens? They fight, fight, fight. Then they break. <laughs> and they, they get some water. They, they put, put some, some water on their face and body. And they they get it together, and then they get back in there for the fight. Makes sense. You have to do that in life. Yeah. So I I, I was thinking, you know, I, I passed uh, we we passed some words uh, back and forth because I know what it's like for myself. You know, I, sure. I I do what I do. It's not as much as some, maybe a little bit more than others, but it's what I do. And I know after a while, sometimes I'm like. Wow, mm. ooh we, <laughs> you know, can can I can I go and do this again? And am I? I guess one of the biggest things is like, am I making a difference? Does anybody really care? Uh, you know, am I out here spinning wheels? And I, I tried to send uh, her some words of encouragement because I appreciate what uh, she does and and so many other. Um, 
folks are doing and how the millennials are activated, and maybe they've always been activated and we didn't see, or I didn't see, but now I'm actually, uh, you know, seeing that. And, like, you know, we were talking about the, the accident, even though this week I haven't been able to be involved uh, because my doctor ordered me on bed rest, to know that they're out there and to see the messages on Facebook, uh, to get the invites to some of their events. Uh, I've been blessed to have an opportunity to be invited to some, uh, I think it's three separate millennial group events that sprung up because of some of the things that's been happening in the community. And, Mm -hmm. uh, And so to be able to go there and see them with the energy and the enthusiasm, the desire, the will, to do something to change stuff and to make it better. Now, they don't always know what it is or how to get it done, and some do. But it's the fact that they're out there trying to do it. Now, it's not everybody by any means. And I don't necessarily support everything that everyone is doing, but that's what they're doing. So if that's what they're doing, I just hope that they're doing whatever it is at the best of their ability. And, and that's uh, how I look at, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the Olympics in a little bit, but, you know, I, I do want to say that, you know, again, thank you to everyone for all the well wishes about uh, my accident, you know, seeing those things, it, it brightens my day. I haven't been able to respond to you all individually. Uh, I've really had difficulty uh, setting up, mainly because of the impact and how it's um, done something to my, my lower back and my neck and I was like wow. man even my right traps I mean right after the as soon as I got hit I felt mm-hmm. the sharp pain in my right trap and I was like most times you don't even know your right trap exists unless you're in the gym mm-hmm. but right. I, I know I, my right trap not my left the, 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 the right one my, my right, yeah the, the right trap is uh, bothering me so I'm, I'm going to try to make it through the show um, okay. It's, uh, I had a nice knot on my forehead. Some people might say, well, Roger, that might have just been an extension of the knot that you already had. But <laughs> I got a nice knot on my forehead. It shrunk a lot. I had a terrible headache because yeah. on the initial impact, I hit my head on something. I actually think it was a sun bite. And I saw that it was, both of them were dislodged. And I know they were both in place because it was dark. And mm-hmm. But both of them were out. And that sun visor hit me in the head, or I hit it, or we hit one another uh, so mm-hmm. hard that it, it did put a knot on my head. I had a terrible uh, headache. It just kept up for two days. The headache just kept getting worse. It was like somebody had a real stack and was just slowly turning up the pain. Oh, yeah, give wow. me more juice. Just a little more juice. And uh, luckily they gave me some pretty strong pain pills, which I didn't even think I was going to need at first. And they gave me... Uh, some muscle relaxing. They said, oh, yeah, however bad you think it is, it's going to be worse. It's going to be worse in a few days. Oh, yeah. At um, UNC, they put the neck collar on me, and a big shout-out to uh, the uh, fire department and and their um, paramedics, their rescue vehicles. You know, that was the only scary part. That was the only scary part for me, that neck thing. I, I Man, that thing scares the heck out of me. I don't want to see it even in a bad dream. So I feel for you, brother. That if you withstood that that neck brace, you was pretty hurt, man. Well, not I that you have you a point. choice. When you have a trauma, though, they throw you in that thing. Like, man, that's it. So I'm so I'm driving down the road, 
I'm doing 65. I'm in the, I was in the fast lane, passing a car in the middle lane, and because he was probably doing about 59 or 60, speed limit mm-hmm. was 65. I went to the late show. I'm ready to get to the house feeling good because I normally don't go to the movies by myself. Uh, it's just something I don't like doing. As a matter of fact, I don't even really like going to the movie theaters, but I needed something to do, so I did it. And I came back feeling kind of good, was already in my mind, planning the day for tomorrow. I made sure I filled up the tank of gas to start the week out right and everything, which now I feel like I wasted my money on the tank of gas. Anyway, different story. But maybe it was yeah. <laughs> that I filled the tank up with gas because, you know, when, when there's explosions due to gas, usually it's not the liquid gas. Most of the time, it is the vapor. So, in other words, if you have something that had gas in it and it's partially full, the gas mm-hmm. goes from top and that's why it's combustible. So, I was probably on E for sure because, unfortunately, I have a tendency to let it go like that. And I'm mm-hmm. driving down the road. I got a full tank of gas. So I'm just feeling good. This movie, heading to the house, and hardly wait to get into my bed everything, you know. And I move into the slow lane. I get it, excuse me, not slowly in the middle lane. Uh, all the cars, they're sort of falling behind me. As a matter of fact, the only vehicle I really could see was a black pickup truck, and it was a good-sized pickup truck. I remember it had a big uh, chrome or silver grill on it, but it was falling behind. But I did see he was trying to, you know, get past some of the other vehicles. But I'm moving ahead. I'm coming up to my ramp because I'm coming up to the 215. Uh, uh, ramp on 95 and I'm just passing Santa Fe I see the theater and roads coming up I, it's sort of like a little curve, I'm coming around it everything's fine and all of a sudden I hear a swerve sound behind me and Uh-oh. after the swerve sound you know I immediately look up into my rear view mirror because I'm thinking, wow, somebody behind me is having a problem. I hope they don't get in an accident. And as I lift my eyes up and look through the rearview mirror, I suddenly see a black slash dark blur coming towards my the back of my vehicle, high velocity from the fast lane. And soon as there's that recognition of that, I mean, I don't even have time to focus on what it is. Bam. Right in And I'm thinking, I, I got hit. And, you know, my, you know, your thoughts go fast. My head go forward. You want to jerk back, go forward. And, you know, I hit my head. And I'm doing 65. I even have my cruise control set because I don't like having to deal with the police. So I want to make sure that my I don't go over the speed limit. And you stay the, them, in the law. You know, I hear you, yeah. Right? I don't want to get their attention. And as uh, so I said, and I said, if I ever get stopped, I want them to be able to pull up a little black box in the car and say, oh, this guy was doing the speed limit. He even had his cruise control set. And uh, which, you know. That see, as a black man, you really got to be specific and think about those things. My exactly. Well, heck, if you if you talk to Corinne uh, James family, you'll say black women too. Uh, for that mm-hmm. matter, even black uh, baby boys. So I'm I'm impacted. I'm, but it didn't stop there. 
I'm being pushed. So not only did I get hit, I'm being pushed. And I'm pushed That's about crazy. 70 feet. Wow. And I 70 hear feet. That's significant. Wow. With yes. no control. Because when you're being pushed, you're, you don't have no brakes. You don't have no way of stopping yourself. That's incredible. Oh, well, the other part is, like I said, I, I hear wow. some swerving behind me. And I think a vehicle passes me, but I'm not sure because right about that moment, I black out. And I remember thinking before I black out and hearing the swerving is that if there's oncoming, you know, traffic still coming, whoever hit me might be impacted by those cars because it sounded like, like I said, swerving, like the person wasn't in control of their vehicle. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I pass out. I just black out. Oh, wow. So the car is still moving, though. Because I was doing 65, and I got impacted so hard that it actually made me go faster and pushed me down the road about 70 feet. And knocked and, you out. And when I come to, my car wow. is still rolling. I have both hands on the steering wheel, and I'm actually still fairly straight. And I'm, I'm thinking, about, I think I just got hit because I'm still in the car rolling. And wow. I, I open I open my you know, my eyes are open, I kinda get my wits about me as much as I can and I realize that I've been hit and I need to pull to the side. I make sure there's no cars coming because I'm still looking for the vehicle that hit me, right? And I don't mm -hmm. know what the other stuff happened because I was out of it. So I come you know, I, I pull over and I, I sit in the car for a moment to collect myself to check, make sure nothing is broken or well, I'm thinking I'm I think I think something is broken just because of the accident, but I checked myself out. Other than the headache and the knot on my head and a little pain in my neck and my right trap, I'm thinking, okay, I, I can move. So I, I'm still trying to put the car in park, but it won't go in park. And I'm trying to turn it off in the key because it won't go in the park. It won't turn off all the way. So I get out of the car, and my first thought is let me find whoever that hit me so I can render assistance. Because if it's, if I'm this bad and they hit you from the back, that means they're front end. You know, the engine flips down and can mm -hmm, go into the mm -hmm. uh, main cabin. And I'm thinking they're probably in worse shape than me. And I know how I'm feeling about this. But I don't see a vehicle. And I'm walking around, looking, like, looking in the front, looking in the back, looking across the uh, road. I don't see a vehicle. Mm -hmm. So wow. I start to look at my car, and I realize... So I'm thinking, well, did I have a blowout or did I actually get hit? Because I know I think I got hit, not when I'm driving on the freeway at 65, not that hard. And I look at I see my tire is still full of air, but I realize that there's my car is jacked up. My back window is blown out. The car is trunk is sticking up and twisted. And the gas tank uh, is open and hanging down. You know, the funnel wow. parts, the two parts. The, the left rear quarter panel is just messed up. And about that time, I realized, yes, indeed, I did get hit. Somebody did hit me, rear-ended me. I don't know where they are. They're probably hurt someplace. I need to call the cops, 911, so that they can come and see about this other person. This is what I'm thinking. <laughs> wow. And 
I, I'm walking around, so I had to go back to the car and get my phone, dial a number, eventually get a hold of the emergency line. They connect me with the highway patrol. And as I'm talking to the dispatcher, the highway patrol car happens to be coming back. Now, normally, it's not, it's not a pleasant sight to me. I'm just glad that they keep going. But this one went by and then stopped and backed up. And at that time, I'm talking to the dispatcher. The dispatcher hands me off to the female uh, highway patrol officer. She really doesn't do too much with me. She's looking at my car and how jacked up it is. And there's something embedded in the car and there's something imprinted on the car. They suspect from the other vehicle, of course, the second cruiser comes, but, you know, they always get the backup. And right. right about then, I realized I'm feeling lightheaded. And I can barely stand up, and I'm all wobbly, and, you know, they call the rescue vehicle, and they take sure. me to, uh, you know, they ask me how I'm doing, they take me to the hospital. On the way to the hospital, uh, Big D is the primary person taking care of me, and they've been busy that night, he's telling me about it, he was taking my vitals and all of that. On yeah. the way there, I, you know, he's, he's a you know white gentleman with a country accent, even though he's not from the country, and we talk, and he winds up showing me pictures of his family. He's adopted five children. Uh, wow. they're, they're biracial or, or of some type of African, uh, African-American descent. And, you know, we're talking about that. And, you know, that just goes to show that, you know, you don't judge a book by its cover. And, you know, this guy is, uh, you know, taking care of me, and he's sharing his family and keeping me awake, which I needed to be because I had a head injury. I get to mm-hmm. UNC, and... You know, the police officer had taken a statement while I was still on scene, and then they take another statement while I'm in in the hospital, so they had to take me to UNC because I have a head injury and, and a neck injury, so they take me to the trauma center. But as I'm as I'm in the bed and they're, re, uh, you know, they're discussing or doing the handoff, I hear a lot of moaning, loud moaning coming from my left, about three stalls down from me, and my EMT, Big D, comes over and he says, uh, you know, we don't know who hit you, uh, but I will say that there is another individual that one of our other units uh, found at the same time that, you know, we picked you up, and it was a person in a black jag with heavy front end damage. And, it, you know, you hear the person moaning down there. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Maybe that potentially could be the person that hit you, but uh, I don't know. I'm, you know, it could be a coincidence. And the guy is complaining about his legs, you know, hurting, his, his, uh, his knees hurting, and he's talking about his, uh, you know, he doesn't really know where he is. He's disoriented. Eventually, I hear him get charged with a DUI, uh, leaving the scene of an accident, and failing wow. to render aid. And I'm thinking, maybe this is the guy that hit me. But I don't mm-hmm. know, and the police board is still uh you know, they're still investigating. Inconclusive, uh, maybe yeah, he, still investigating. Yeah, maybe he just did something else something to somebody else, but he just happened to be the only person with on the road in an accident at the time. But it could have been somebody that hit me and, and kept on going. So, you know, I don't know. But, you know, again, I did want to share that with everyone to let you all know what happened. The doctor, you know, they kept me in there for a while. Um, they took a CT scan. They said that, you know, because they're looking because I passed out, they're looking for you know, some type of brain injury. They said that they think I might have a mild concussion, and they gave me things to look out for, blurry vision. I did have a little bit of that, so it's probably mild, just like they said, dizziness and, and a little nausea. Uh, the next day, 
I've taken the meds, but I've been taking them sparingly. And uh, for the most part, I don't need to take the pain pills as prescribed, just as needed. And uh, I do take the muscle relaxant. As a matter of fact, I haven't taken one yet because I knew I was going to do the show and it makes me sleepy. But sure. the way I'm fidgeting yeah. in this chair, I know that will be coming up after the show. So to everyone, again, thank you so much to your well wishes about the accident. It was a hit and run. No, I wasn't drinking. I don't even drink for that matter. And I don't do drugs. Um, but, you know, it, it, it happened, and it happens a lot. If you do not have insurance, and then there's my, my home girl, my sister girl, and that's a TV out there locally who uh, mm-hmm. does uh, some wonderful uh, videos in support of black men, the king, she calls him, a sister, I appreciate that. And she also uh, sells insurance. So if you don't have, you know, that, uh, uh, what is it called, uninsured motorist coverage, or you just mm-hmm. have the bare minimum, uh, feel free to update your policy if you can afford it and get a, a higher amount because if you get hit by a hit and run like I did, uh, that uninsured motorist gonna need it. Mm-hmm. to you. And my car is totaled, and I didn't, I didn't know about gap insurance at the time. I didn't have gap insurance, so I know I'm not, and my car was paid off. And so you know I'm not going to get the value of it. It was a, uh, a Buick LaCrosse. Uh, so, and, and actually it was my, my late mother's car that I wound up uh, inheriting and uh, didn't drive it often. I did drive it. So, Mom, thank you. I, I know that was... You know, you were one of those angels that was looking out for me. Kept you covered, uh, yeah. Thank goodness for the safety of Buick LaCrosse. So um, I'm still recovering. I'm on bed rest at least until uh, tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. I go back to the doctor on the 11th. I wasn't able to go to the gathering yesterday. My home girl and co-host, this is Angela Thomas, uh, held it down uh, for us. Hopefully I'll be back next Friday. So there you have it. That's my saga with hit and run in Las Vegas. Which is a big and problem here in the Valley. Uh, drunk driving is a big problem here in the Valley because, you know, one thing we do well is show people a, a, a good time, and part of that sometimes includes alcohol, and sometimes people don't realize how impaired they are and they get behind the wheel. And unfortunately, we... We continue to see uh, a lot of hit and runs and a, and a lot of, you know, drunk drivers. Drunk, so, but thank God you weren't on the, on the bad list. So things happen. So everybody, yes. a quick station ID. You listen to Our Own Voices Live. I am one of your hosts, and today I'm joined after her forever vacation. Uh, Mrs. Angela <laughs> Thomas is back in the air chair with us. Our own voice is live. Nor- normally comes on at 12:30 every Saturday. That's 3:30 uh, for those of you back east. I came on today at 1:30. Wasn't sure I could do the show due to all the stuff I just said about the accident. But thank you all for joining us. If you'd like to join in the conversation, give us a call with area code 347-826-9600. 347-826-9600. Press option one to talk. And the topic of our show today was, well, my hit-and-run car accident. But then uh, we have two other topics that I wanted to try to get to, and one of them is the importance of the Rio Olympics to the African diaspora. And then I want to go into uh, Corinne Gaines, a young lady whose life was taken from her. 
and who's uh, I believe I believe he was five years old. Somebody fact check me on that. But anyway, her her baby boy, her her, her son, yeah. was also shot uh, in this. Uh, so the, the next topic is for those of you who don't know, the Rio Olympics opening ceremonies was for us last night. You know, there's a difference in time. So for example, we're in summer here. They're south of the equator. So it's winter there. Now, for their winters, it's 70 degrees. So their winters and most people in North America's winters are a little different, but it is winter there in Rio. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Rio. And would it be ready? Well, it wasn't 100% ready, but the game, you know, it's like the show must go on. The games must go on. And what I wanted to know from you all is, is, is this is what I, I, I put on the uh, Facebook page, is did you know? that this is the first time in Olympic history that the Olympics is being held in a country that is not European, Asian, or of Spanish descent. Did you all know that? Because, believe it or not, Brazil, which is in South America, again, south of the equator, uh, one of the the largest uh, countries, one of the largest countries, uh, in South America, most of the other countries border it, except for, I, I believe, two. But Brazil, which is where Rio is, is hosting this year's Olympics. And this is the, this is the first time that the Olympics has been hosted in what is a black country an African country, a member of the African diaspora. This is big. Uh-oh, I'm getting so excited, I moved my head. And that, 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 <laughs> uh, but this is huge. This Super is the huge. first time in Olympic history. Here's, let me give you a quick something, a, a tidbit about Brazil. Brazil, part of South America, has the largest number of Africans, people of African descent, outside of the continent of Africa. That's right, more than North America, more than the United States. There's about 35 million, roughly, depending on which statistics you look at, African Americans in in, the United States of America. But in Brazil, the country in South America, about 70 million black people. Don't, don't you feel that? Uh, you definitely did last night in the Parade of Nations. We were just amazed at the beauty, the beauty that uh, Rio represented in, in, uh, in their opening ceremony and how they articulated the history, and when the when they got to the part of the slaves coming to their nation, I I I gotta admit it made me emotional. It made me cry. It was beautiful. It it was a beautiful articulation of what happened and how this country has become the largest. Um, home to African people outside of the African continent. It was absolutely fantastic last night. 
I enjoyed it. When I always they, enjoyed the opening ceremony, though. It, it's like really one of the highlights, and then I like seeing the people, you know, marching in and representing the country. You know, sometimes yeah, the parade like of nations one, is just amazing. You see where there's like three people representing the whole country, or some countries that their population would actually sit inside of the stadium, which they were all in. It, it is mm-hmm. amazing, and it's good to see the different people because most of the people in the world, Angela, look like us. They're dark complexion. They're from hey, the very brown, very brown. Middling, it's all over the place. Here it is. They had a chance to come to a host country that was representative of themselves. And the reason why I want to talk about this because it is the first, so it's a historic event, and it's something that we should all take pride in because they always say that Africans can't do this, people of African descent. Well, here's a country run by people of African descent that is hosting the biggest game or the most Look, well-known, ab- anyway, in the, absolutely. In the world. Absolutely. We just, we just, while I was on vacation, um, Steve Keene, had the big statement on MSNBC that uh, nobody, none of, none of these groups, none of these other groups had made any significant contributions to humanity except Europeans. And, you know, Twitter just tore his head off just a couple of weeks ago, and they're still sending him uh, information that he's obviously ignorant of, uh, to oh, the fact you're talking about that Senator Angus King. Yes, I am. Yes, it just tore that, his head off. Uh, somebody needs to fill his head with some some real knowledge. And when you, yeah, I tell you, you talk about putting African American history and culture and African history and culture throughout all curriculum, that is the reason. And we're gonna talk about that on a later show, but oh yeah, you know, the the miseducation your your next book, the miseducation of white folks. <laughs> well, yes, well we got a chance to see that in full effect with Angus King, but when we're talking about the significance yeah. of the Olympics in Brazil, in South America, in Brazil, with the largest number of Africans outside of the continent, I mean the Olympic Games haven't even been held on the continent, but it was held in South America. So this means that it's getting closer. Now, how I wanted to kind of form this up because of all the stuff that, you know, we're going to talk about is uh, Corinne Games here in in a few minutes. But I I wanted to do this first because, you know, sometimes we look at stuff and we see it as so dire. And I'm not saying that it's not because this young woman having having a life taken away over a traffic citation of all things. And her child being shot, traumatic experience for the child. You know, what I saw was a lot of despair and a, a lot of feeling of helplessness and and that we, we're not going to overcome. Uh, there's like not just a, the loss of life that we feel, those of us who have a kinship, uh, a racial kinship with Miss Gaines, you know, we should all feel some empathy uh, as Americans, but that's part of the problem. It's typically, you know, let one white cop get shot, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be empathy because I empathize with it, but 
but it doesn't happen when black Americans are killed for whatever reason. That's one of the issues. But for this case, we had this happen at a time when we're, you know, just before the Olympics is starting. And what I wanted to say to everyone is there's hope for us. There is hope for us. Look, we're a country, a people from the African diaspora is hosting the Olympic Games. And you see it a lot of black faces. If you look at the American Olympic team and the number of African Americans on it, and especially our uh, Olympic gymnastics team, the two top gymnasts are African American, and one is, uh, I believe, Puerto Rican. I'm not sure if it's Puerto Rico or not. And then we have another that's Jewish. No, it's not in Europe, just those of you need a little geography help. You know, that's four people, I believe, on a seven-person team that are not of European descent. This is huge. That's history-making. And the top two are the top two gymnasts in the world with one having a gold medal and making history herself at her last Olympics, at her previous Olympics. And then if you look at the African-American female swim team, have two African-American women who are in contention for medals. One of my favorite sports is fencing. And to see an African-American woman, Muslim woman, competing for the goal this Olympics is inspirational. I'm I'm really excited about her match and, and just this sport getting the spotlight it deserves. It's a wonderful sport and it takes a lot of skill and and full body uh activity to fence. Uh fencing is as strategic as, as chess. But you know, a lot of people have not been exposed to the sport, and I'm happy to see that an African-American Muslim woman is bringing it to the forefront, this Olympics. And many people may not know that for those of us who are into pugilistic activities, fencing is a sport that a lot of martial artists and even boxers take to learn the proper movement of the body and how to to defend, how how to attack. Is we get that from fencing. So fencing isn't, you know, it, it may seem like a somewhat genteel activity, but there's really, uh, when it comes to fighting, fencing is one of those poor uh, uh, disciplines that you want to learn. So when you think about that, and she was wearing her Muslim, you know, she had a, she was covered in the, the yep. tradition of, of Islam, and she's not from an Islamic country. She's right here from America. Remember she's right here the from the United States, right on the East Coast. She's an East Coaster. Is yeah. Our, is our strength. So we had that. And so what I want to say is if you look at Olympics, so when it starts, it was basically all white. It was all Caucasian European. It started in Greece, right? started in Greece. And then it, yeah. it Can't get more and, European uh, than that. Now, I, I give the founders of the games credit for including the rest of the world in it, but the world was pretty small back then from what they did. So we we have that. And then if you see, if you study Olympics a little bit, if you just read up on it a little bit and, and just look at the American, you know, look at the countries that were involved, but then if you look at how Olympics has changed in the makeup 
right here from the United States of America. We see more black, more people of African descent from in more disciplines than possibly ever, whether it's golf, you know, tennis. Now we have swimming, and you know the, the, you know, the stereotype of black people in swimming, uh, fencing, <laughs> as Angela mentioned, uh, the top gymnasts. And before that, those were things that were just all of people of European descent. So I just thought it was significant that we address that today. And I, and I wanted our people to see how that we didn't give up on the Olympics. The Olympics was controlled by white people. We were founded, as best we could tell, by white people, right? But we have not given up. Countries have not given up. African countries, uh, Asian countries, Middle Eastern countries, considered a part of Asia, believe it or not, um, those, they didn't give up, and they kept at it. And there's been political change because of the Olympics. Now, I wanted to talk of how this improves uh, the country of Brazil. I know there's a lot of con- controversy about the expense and how good is it actually for the people of Brazil. But look at how we stayed with it, and look at how many disciplines we're in now and how we are starting to dominate those. Uh, this is important because what I'd like to tell my sisters and brothers in the struggle here in America, that as long as it's a righteous struggle, what I mean by righteous struggle is that we're not damaging others. We are improving ourselves and this country, and we're doing what the work that it takes for us to be treated as at least equal partners in this country as other citizens, usually of European descent, are treated. As we're on this journey, and, and though it seems tough, think about, I always say, think about, if you're frustrated, imagine how frustrated it was for our slave ancestors and those slaves that were in Brazil, because it was more slaves taken to Brazil than to the United States of America. And you see a little bit of that in the advancement in the opening show where you see them with blocks on their feet. On their and what feet. And that, what that demonstrated to me was how much extra it took them to move. They didn't put chains on them per se, which I thought they should have, but they put the, this added weight, these big blocks on their feet. You could see the extra you know, it, that it You, you know, and it, it, it also represented to me how much they put the weight of the country, the future of the country, on them. It was all on them. They built it. They put the foundation there, a strong foundation. And how much strength it took to pull it off. And now we're here in 2016. And that's the story of Africans. In America, African Americans, this country was built due to African Americans. All the the majority of the wealth that people had came because of those slaves of uh, our labor. Way to became African American. And if you want to see an example of the struggle, even though they were search, I believe they were search performers. As they were coming over in the ship, you could see that there was like a wheel that was constantly turning. Turning and they had and to keep going around and climbing and walking and going around and around and around. Did you see those brothers no running and flipping and running and flipping across that field? I mean, to think about that as a metaphor of what we've done 
across this globe. That's what I took that as, black people across this globe, running and flipping, running and flipping, running and flipping, continuing the growth of humanity all on us. That was amazing. It was, an, it was an amazing at, metaphor. When you look at the, the opening of the Olympics and the entry of nations, the march of nations, you see that the majority of the people that came in were of dark complexion. It didn't make any difference whether it was from Samoa, American Samoa, whether it was from Benin, whether it was someplace in the Caribbean, whether it was uh, Puerto Rico. It didn't make a difference. Um, Madagascar, all those little islands, most of the people had dark complexion. And I have to yeah. admit, Angela, seeing it in Rio, seeing these people coming in, tying that together. And their dashikis, about, wasn't that dope? <laughs> oh well, the, them colors. I mean, them, them brothers and sisters were were bringing. But we're representing you know, how this is us, though. This is showcasing us. This Olympics is showcasing us. It's showcasing Rio, the country with the largest number of Africans outside of the continent. And then when you see the number of African countries that were represented whether it was two or three athletes, they were still there. You hear the stories of how sometimes they didn't have the proper facilities and running barefoot, whether it's from South America or Africa. Could you imagine being an Olympic swimmer, swimmer and your whole country not having one Olympic swimming pool? That is the story of the athletes that are competing for Brazil. They and, and some of the African um, countries that are represented, the whole country doesn't have a, an Olympic swimming pool, yet they are there at the Games representing. And they're part of the swimming team. They made it happen. So this is important. This is an important moment for the African diaspora. And I, want, I, I, I hope that you all see that. I hope that you all will embrace it. And, and root us on, and this is an opportunity to showcase us. But, but for me, in relationship to our next topic, it shows that how with perseverance, and there is going to be a struggle, and there's going to be setbacks, and some of them are pretty big. You know, there's one Olympic athlete that was came in a wheelchair. I believe she's the first athlete to uh, make both the Paralympic and the regular Olympics. And, and uh, let's not forget the new, the history, within the history being made, the uh, refugee team, that uh, the country that walked in, that walked in, the no-nationers as well as the specific, this is new to the Olympics period, the, the uh, refugees, which the whole group of them, it was mostly uh, folks from the Sudan. So it was very interesting last night. The Olympics is an opportunity for those of us who, and for those who may have seen the struggle that there's lost. Here's an opportunity to focus on the victory. Because every time one of those 
athletes, whether from Brazil or any place in the African diaspora, win. Just the fact that they're there competing. See, what it shows is you have to be in the game. You cannot win if you're not playing, if you're not in the game. And that's a metaphor for whether it's politics, whether it's economic power, whether it's social acceptance or social equality, whatever it is, you have to be in the game. And you have to go through the struggle. And it is a struggle. And you don't give up because, I mean, there's some countries that have competed in the Olympic Games year after year, and they've never won a medal. But they're still there. And they're still struggling. They're still, and they still train. They spend money on it because they have hope that through their hard work, their commitment, that one day they'll win a medal. They will overcome. They will defeat the big. And I look at us here in America, and especially as African Americans, who see a beast that we're dealing with, not of our own making. Even though we're ridiculed for our predicament, it's not of our making. What I, the Olympic Games symbolize to me is if you, if you work at it long enough, hard enough, you're smart enough for whatever that is, and you just keep at it. Sometimes you may have to modify your training regimen, your, the way that you play the game. Where you're training learning. at. Where you're training at. Look at the uh, look at the journey of little Gabby to go to have to leave. I think she left Indiana to finally end up here in San Diego with a family of of people she didn't know. Her mama having to trust these folks are going to do right by her child. When you look at just even recent recent. Uh, disparaging stories about the Olympics, about just recently the uh, the Olympic organization and sexual predators within the uh, gymnast coaching community. Against all of that stuff, one kid persevered, that and, and so much more, and she's there competing in her. This is Gabby's second Olympics. Yep. Uh, is it when you think about all of the sometimes seeming when you start thinking about it, you're like, wow, that's a that's a lot insurmountable circumstances that these young athletes have to overcome to get to the games. Just even here in the United States, in the in the land of so-called milk and honey, opportunity you can be who you want to be. Uh, I just recently saw the movie Concussion, and and to look at that doctor's journey to only, you know, to find something that they didn't have a name for to to just now become a citizen. You look at all of the little things, the big things that people have to overcome to to reach a goal. It's, it's, It's rather incredible when you watch those athletes walk out in the parade of, of of nations, you know, it took a lot to get there. I must say, on a on a side note, but kind of on the note, it's time to retire Ralph Lauren. I don't want him making the uniforms anymore. <laughs> I really want somebody else to design something uh, with more of a statement 
for our American athletes. And I know that's a little off topic. It's a little, might be frivolous to some listeners. But to look at uh, some of the athletes from some of the other nations in their in, in traditional garb or in garb that represented their nation, I just really think we could step it up a note or two in how uh, our our athletes look when they come out. I, you got in trouble last year, last last Olympics for not manufacturing the the Olympic uniform in the United States uh, this year. You didn't hear much about it, but I, I must say it was a little too understated for me, for my palate. And I, I just would like to get rid of, uh, be the first to say, I, let's get rid of Ralph Lauren. Well, I <laughs> leave it to the woman of the crew to bring up the fashion. But, yes. it, you know, they, that is a, important in the opening games. And I liked how some countries tried to stick to a, a garb that represented who their original people were, uh, mm-hmm. even Brazil some of that, and, uh, you know, some of the performers in the opening ceremony. When I say they wore some traditional garb, I'm talking about these people were just about from American standards naked. There was, there was breakfasts and buttocks and stuff, but they showed them in almost their natural form, and I, I thought that that itself was something unique, uh, but it also showed the openness. And, uh, you know, I, again, I just want us to remember that. Those people struggle to get there. And, uh, you know, they talked about the ones that missed the, the plane was delayed. They had just gotten there four hours prior. I think it was soccer, but I'm not sure, or rugby. But they played a game, and they won. And then they were in the opening uh, ceremony. So mm-hmm. they're struggling, but they don't give up, and they don't lose hope. And for those who, are, you know, need coaches as individual sports, they find the best, or if they are not able to find the best or afford the best, they find the best that they can get. And then they get that person and they allow, they open themselves up for that person to pour into them their experience, their knowledge. And from that, the athlete who is trained, sometimes by a person who's never won a medal, and maybe never competed in the Olympics, that person poured into them, the athlete, something, and enough of that something, so that they were able to go to the Olympics, to, you know, to make the Olympic team. Then to yep. go to the Olympics, and some of them will win an Olympic medal and maybe even gold. So I want that to be a message to those who are in the struggles here in the streets that maybe turn and be willing to turn to those who are older than you, to those who may have more experience. Maybe they don't or have less your exact Or less experience. experience. Or less experience. Because I think something you said just a moment ago, Rodney, is very key. Be willing to exchange and, and have a growth with a person that may not be on your level. It probably isn't on your level, probably has never been on your level, but they have some skill set to pour into you to take you to your next level. That That's tremendous. This, this Olympic Games is more than just a sport. For those who have eyes 
ears to hear, and a mind to open. You will see a lot of parallels to the struggles that we have. To life. Absolutely. But you will see how these Olympians, and maybe that's why they're called Olympians, didn't stop. They didn't go, woe is me. They didn't go say these insurmountable odds. They kept at it, and they became the best that they could be. Now, we won't know whether they will win a medal, but they might. And that will have been because they didn't stop, they didn't give up, they didn't allow their despair, they didn't allow their hardship, they didn't allow the naysayers, maybe even the people who ridiculed them, maybe even people who tried to oppress them. They did not allow that to stop them. They talk about the indomitable spirit of the Olympics. I believe our African ancestors who were slaves in Brazil and here in America had that indomitable spirit that they didn't let these obstacles stop them. They took they took stumbling blocks and turned them into stepping stones. And maybe that's a lesson that as we go through this struggle here in America, representing the African diaspora, the second largest concentration of Africans outside of the continent. That we will take this lesson from Brazil and let it empower us, enable us to go a little further, to look at the value of teamwork. Anne's law often says teamwork makes the dream work. Well, look at the team yeah. sports now. And even when it's not a team sport, it's an individual sport. There's usually a team involved because, as a minimum, it is the athlete, at least a coach slash trainer, and always, or just about always, the family. But there's still a team involved. Let us look for our own team. I, I did want to go into some of the uh, a quick list of some of the things that happened that hopefully will improve the country of Brazil and specifically Rio. And the port in Rio has undergone major redevelopment and it's transformed it into a major complex than it was before. Uh, the handball court, which I'm hoping, hope, I hope to see some handball, they're going to turn that into four schools after the game. The aquatic center, is going to be, you know, Ansel talked about this earlier for other countries, they're going to turn it into two public water sports facilities, each with a 50-foot pool. This is, this is things that the, that the country and that the city that is the going games. to gain. Yeah, that the and games the, leave behind you know, the city games. Yeah. They got 70 new hotels due to the games. I, you know how many I did jobs know that, actually. That that, I, it was a lot of jobs generated due to this. It was a lot of protests, and I understand the protests because, you know, we, we're going through a similar thing here. The underprivileged in, in, in Rio de Janeiro felt like the taxes that have been waged against an already uh, underserved community was unjust. And But, I, I, but I, I do see, you know, the progress and the progress that they're going to receive after the games are over. The waste management system, and we've heard a lot about their water. We know it's not perfect. 
pedestrian improved. Uh, the lighting, public lighting has been improved. The hospital has gotten new technology in Rio. The Their rail system. system. The tra- yeah, the rail system alone, where which is the, the major way that they're moving these athletes across that city. The Just the... the um, 60 minutes piece uh, and the 2020 piece on looking at how their rail system has been transformed. That will, uh, as a person coming from a a, a, a city that was re- that is reliant on public transportation and that includes a huge rail system, that's that's something that that uh, Rio is going to uh, enjoy for generations. The improvements that were made. Those construction workers, the, those city officials, hey, they did some good. Uh, the new roads, really just the infrastructure um, and technology, the improvement of the airport. You know, we mentioned the jobs. <laughs> at this point, uh, at this point, their their uh, infrastructure is probably better than some American cities right now, due to the work that was put in to pull these games off. To be honest with you. Uh, if you look at the amount of people that's been hired to prepare for the games, to work the games, and that will staff those those hotels that we mentioned, the improvement in, in sports, the improvement in their climate, their environment, an opportunity to highlight the significance of their rainforest the and rainforest. the Amazon and to talk about <laughs> global warming and the significant impact that it will have in mul- multiple countries throughout the world and how they're planning, uh, you know, going to plant. Each athlete, you know, they, the countries represented brought in something that they can plant. So, no, it's not perfect because the prevailers are, are still there, um, you know, it, but it's something. And that's what the games are designed to do. We know that the 1% in the world, wherever they are, are usually the ones that reap the majority of the benefits economically. We, we get that. But there is know some benefit for others and there is a benefit for us in America by seeing the African diaspora literally put in the spotlight and what I'm saying to you is this is the time for us to look at these games, internalize it for our struggle here and maybe we can become Olympians of the struggles that we don't give up, that we don't allow our despair to ever come <laughs> to overcome our enthusiasm to make the changes necessary in ourselves that will bring about changes in the way we're treated in this country. And it's not that anybody's giving these athletes anything because they have to work to earn it. And we're going to have to work, and maybe we think we shouldn't have to earn it. But, you know, Frederick Douglass says you get what you work for. And we have to work harder, we have to work smarter, and we have to involve the team. As Angela said, teamwork makes the dream work. So you're listening to our own voices live today, and we're talking about my accident earlier. We're talking about the Olympics in Rio. And the, the third topic that I wanted to touch on, that I thought this thing about the Olympics actually uh, would make for a good segue is we did lose another life in the African-American community, in the American community. And her name was Corinne Gaines. Corinne Gaines. 
and she spelled it K-O-R-R-Y-N. K-O-R-R-Y-N. Yeah. And, I, and I want you to know that, man. Now, there's various news reports of what happened. What I know that happened is that there was a young woman who had a young child was married. Don't, don't hear talk about that. And I'm and I'm getting more up in news. Who lost her life because of a traffic citation, or the traffic citation led to decisions that ultimately caused her to lose her life? Is a traffic citation really that important? I guess are there things that we can push our law enforcement to do differently? Um, are there things that you know we can do differently to protect ourselves? not get ourselves in certain situations because a part of this, it's not just them changing. I mean, we're going to have to do some changing too. And I know people don't like to hear that, well, Rodney, they're the ones killing us. Yes. But if we don't want to be killed, then whatever we can do to keep them from killing us until we can get that out of them, we need to do it. It's like the Olympics. If you want to win, you're going to put in the work. And the story goes that there was a traffic citation and the police came. And there was some words. There is conflicting discussion on who shot first. Uh, Some people say that the police shot first and she had a shotgun, which is, (coughs) well, Surprising, but which we okay. should add completely lawfully. She she had a a a firearm in accordance to our laws and our constitution. You know, some might argue our con. You know, well, ain't, nobody has argued it's our constitutional right to bear arms. She followed uh, those rules. Uh, some people say that the police shot, and she basically was protecting her own and shot back. There's some stories that said that she shot first or that she threatened the police. And I don't know if a threat, a, a, a oral threat, to me doesn't have the same weight as an actual physical threat. But this is the stories that's out there. And, and she recorded a lot of this as it was happening real time. And I saw some people say, well, where was the husband and why wasn't he protecting her? And there's a story saying that the husband had taken their second child. Their one-year-old. And, and ran right, out the house. And was taking the child to safety. Now, some people said, no, he's a coward. He was just running. I don't know that. Just like we don't know whether the story of the police is right or the it's story actual of factual. the police yeah. they were shot. And I would ask that maybe we should slow down sometimes because – that, all of a sudden, what I started seeing was comments popping up about the no good black men, and this is why black women have to do it by themselves, and always been by themselves, and all of that. I don't know that. And before we put that out there, we should get the facts. Uh, what we do know is the woman lost her life. And what we, as a people of the African diaspora in the United States of America, have to come to is what is it that we're going to do? Because it's not so much what the police and others are going to do. Because we see what they're doing. They're still doing it, right? But what are we going to do? 
Are we just going to allow it to happen? Are we going to go, well, there is no fix for it? Are we going to say, well, heck, we're just going to shoot back, which I think is suicide by cops? Because I haven't seen anybody survive that's African-American. That's that's that I haven't seen survive yet. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And the idea is to live. Uh, there was someone who was talking about, uh, it, it was a Shaolin movie I was watching. Yeah, I, I like those. And the woman, it was Madam Wing Chung, Yim Wing Chung, and she was saying she'd be willing to die to learn martial arts. And the, the Shaolin monk says, the living is harder. And as I've lived these years of my life, yeah, <laughs> taking your life might be a difficult thing, but once you've done it, it's done. You don't have to go through the struggle anymore. Your struggle is over. So I believe, like a monk, living is hard. I'm, I want to live for my people. I want to live for my family. I want to live for my community. I want to do the things that it takes to make it better. If I need to defend, I will, but I'm not going to foolishly go out there and surrender. Put yourself in a position where you're having to be defensive. Well, I don't want to put myself in a position where I needlessly give my life. Right. Set myself up for my life to be taken. To be on the line, to to be on the table as an option to resolve whatever. I, I hear you. I don't want that either. I was just saying to Michael this morning, I I plan to be here for my, I've I've been here for my children. I've been blessed to see grandchildren. I'm hoping to see my grandchildren's children. God willing in the creek don't rise. I hope so. You know, we we all want to live. I want us to look back at those athletes representing that's the first time in a country that's run, that is a country of the African diaspora, the stories of how they kept going, how they didn't give up, how they didn't let obstacles, they didn't allow even life or death situations. They kept going. They found what they needed. And then they used what they needed. They learned what they needed to learn. They taught what they needed to teach so that others could achieve goals that maybe some who were doing the teaching would never, ever come close to. And they did it freely. Those who had it to give gave. Those who had it to receive, received it. And then they went and achieved it. See, I believe that we can do the same with these issues that we have. Those who say, well, politics is not the answer. You know, politics is not the only answer, but it is a part of the answer. And in order to win that game, you have to be in the game. You have to learn it. You have to play it. And sometimes you may not be victorious. You may have to go back to the drawing board, but you go. That's what those athletes did. Matter of fact, some of, there's a, there was an athlete, a swimmer, who grew up watching Michael Phelps, and now he's in the Olympics. So sometimes you may have to watch who your competition is and learn from them. There's nothing shameful about it. And, you know, no, everybody talks about the win and winning, but nobody talks about how losing informs 
how to win, and informs your win. It's important to lose. It's important to to understand the system of of losing. It is actually a system, and it informs the victory. You know, when you think about those slaves, so somebody said they were frustrated and they they needed some time. When you think about those slaves, they were in a constant state of loss to a certain mm-hmm. extent because they didn't have their freedom. But they found so we, victory. we could be uh, viewed as the win from all of that losing. Our we, current we station as, cha- yeah, as our current station, as challenged as it is, and as much work as there still is left to do, we are what we are the vision that they were striving for right now. So I say don't give up. Be the Olympic Olympian for social justice, for African American justice in America until it is just American justice. We didn't get to Rio by not participating in the game. We didn't get to Rio by not being the best. We didn't get those two young those two sisters on the swim team because they gave up or they went woe is me or they said that there's always somebody holding me back. Something holding me back. We didn't get two world champions on the Olympic gymnastics team leading the team. <clears throat> Gabby Douglas and Simone Bach, the fencing, the female fencing. You know, they all had obstacles, and we're going to always have obstacles we, as long as we live. We we have Venus and Serena, who, who are a you know a standing testament to every African American obstacle. If you ever lived in the hood and you ever had to overcome. Uh, strife and strifeful people in your community, the fact that their dad had to beat people up, a lot of people, in order for his daughters to be able to use the community tennis area, and how long he had to do that. The, the, when you hear the story of how he went around and collected discarded tennis balls for his girls to play with, when you listen to the story of him com, uh, approaching the top coach to get him to uh, coach his daughter, and he turned, he was turned away, and. I forget which one, Venus or Serena, did a flip from the front door to the car. And that coach, seeing her flip from the front door of the facility that they were being turned down and turned away from, all the way back to her dad's car is what changed that man's mind and and. Now you see them making all sorts of history, money. Uh, their story is incredible. And it, and it speaks uh, to every current issue we're out here protesting about. 
Corin Jean. K O R R Y N. I don't expect anyone to remember these names forever. They need to be written in our hearts forever because that is another person whose life was taken away. There's a child who doesn't have a mother, a husband who doesn't have a wife, a parent doesn't have a daughter. Things have changed for them. Her life is over. Trayvon is over. Mike Browns is over. Eric Scott is over. Tamir Rice is over. I mean, we could just go down the list. We're living. And in living, like those slaves who were living, maybe it wasn't the life that they wanted to live, but it was life. They lived it and they did the things that they did so that those who came after them would have it better. Maybe we should take the focus off of our fight right now and focus on, like the Olympians, how things can be tomorrow and next year. But they put in the work today for tomorrow. Uh, It's kind of like Sister Nas Kalita putting in the the work in her, her event, not so much for today, but planning for tomorrow, planning for next year. Planning for a time unknown But those slaves They kept at it Whether in Brazil Or whether in the United States of America They did not give up They kept at it So that there would be a better day For those who came after them Let us put the things in place Let us maybe Fix up Our foundation Expand it Build it up so that we could reach those great heights like these athletes, these Olympians, so that the names like Corin Games won't be such a steady supply of them, that we do the thing, that we put in the work, that we learn the system to defeat the system. can't defeat it if you're not trying. can't defeat it if you don't learn it. However and whatever those things are in the system that we need to defeat, whether we need to learn A so that we can get to D, that will maybe help us get to D, to whatever it is that leads us overcoming and defeating it, the sooner we start doing it, the sooner we can get there. The sooner we look at the team that we have, not ridicule, not call names, not because it's that way or this way, because there's many roots. There's many paths, there's many roads that often lead to the destination that we're trying to get to. And there's many positions. There's many positions on the team. It don't always have to it doesn't all have to be, you know, everybody doing the same work as long as there's work being done. And that we're making we are making games. And a play on foreign game name. Let's make some game. Let's do that. Let's do that in rem- remembrance of her. I don't know who was right and who was wrong. What I know is that a life was lost and it impacted a family and a community. And I know that we need to do something to start reducing these impacts. I know that we need to be Olympians for social justice. 
I know that we need to keep going and not give up. I still think about those people doing the free running as those as parts of the city kept popping up and climbing and then stretching out their bodies, the strength, the perseverance, the training, the dedication, commitment. I still think about those wheels, those giant wheels in the ships that were turning when the slaves were being brought to Brazil and how in the opening ceremony those brothers and sisters just kept going. They didn't stop. They made a way. When they didn't have control over it, they did what they needed to do to make it to the next day until they could start getting control. And now look at them, hosting the 2016 Olympic Games in the first country representing the African diaspora. Not too far from us. We can do it. Watch the game. Enjoy the game. Let the athletes and their stories of struggle, sometimes loss, and sometimes triumph, and ultimate victory of becoming Olympians for those select few who do. Let that inspire you. And don't lose hope. Well, you have been listening to another episode of Our Own Voices Live, and this time you didn't just have to hear me running my mouth. We had Mrs. Angela Thomas, who is back. Good to have her back. And our topic today was my car accident, and thank you all for your well wishes. The need for it, which I highlighted the need for insurance and specifically uninsured motorists, because there's a lot of people driving dirty, for whatever reason, not judging, it's happening. So for those who can prepare, be prepared, like Sister Nas Kalita and her event. It's about preparation. Be prepared. Olympics is about preparation and training. Be prepared. Our struggle is about preparation, training, perseverance, and eventually overcoming. We talked about the real game and their significance to the African diaspora and really to the rest of the world and how that ties into the struggle of all people of African descent, no matter where they are. And also our we brought it home with the story of Corinne Gaines, and we're going to talk more about her in the future because, we, you know, as we get more details. But I didn't want us to have a show today where we didn't want to talk about one of our sisters. This is one of our sisters and a child who could have lost his life. You know, the bullets and the, uh, the abuses and the tragedies are no longer discriminating and focused on black men and men. It's reaching down to our women, to our children. It's impacting us like that card. It impacted me. It changed my life. This changed our life. It's what are we going to do from here, though? I'm healing from my car injury. Hopefully I'll, I'll have a complete recovery. We need to heal from some of these other injuries that we're having. And then we need to create our own recovery. And then our own successes. Just like those Olympians, Olympians for social justice. Angela, you have any closing words for us? Yes, I wanted to say history is important. Today is the 51st anniversary of the Voters Voters Rights Act. <clears throat> um, this week, you, Rodney, enlightened me on a, a, a term 
bring them to heel, and what that meant in the South and what it meant to the black community, whether you lived, south, lived in the South or the North, to bring them under control and the, the horrible torture and uh, body mutilation that was done to us under that term. History is important. The context of the history is important. Do your homework. Don't forget. Because those that forget their history are doomed to repeat it. I'm so grateful that you joined us this week on Our Own Voices. I feel better. I have vacation. I'm rested. I'm, 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 I'm rebooted, and I'm ready to go. A big shout-out to my friend, Fernando Arboleda, down in Brazil. I believe he actually lives in Sao Paulo. I used to come to the gathering. I know this is a big time for him. I'd love sure. to hear his thoughts on the Olympic Games, and the, the good and the bad, the pros and the cons. <coughs> but, you know, he's there, boots on the ground. Right? I'd like to and hear what he has to say. Can't wait. And we also have uh, sister friend to the show, Nina Bailey, there at the Olympic Games, worked as one of those employed people because of the 17, game, 17 days of the nation's <coughs> coming together, excuse me, to um, participate in the games. So we look forward to her safe travels back here to the Valley, and hopefully she can come on the platform and, and give us a firsthand account of the experience. She's been sharing a bit of it on Facebook. I share it. Um, but enjoy uh, the next 16 days of the Olympics, and we've already won um, – some gold today, so you know, root for root for your team, root for your sport. I'm I'm really hoping that America takes home the gold in in uh, table tennis. We've never won anything in table tennis, so you know maybe make that Forrest Gump movie come a little true. This uh, 2016 uh, Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I'm looking for a gymnastic team. I'm looking for a female swim team, a male swim oh, yeah. team. Uh, our sister Fenson. Representing uh, Fenson, uh, judo. Uh, we all over, just like just like how the intro of the games on Brazil and how life started, how it expanded the rainforest and proliferated and provided oxygen to the rest of the world. Well, Africans, we have... We're all over. We're everywhere. Wherever we go, we have brought life into those places. Even in the time where we feel like our lives are being taken, we, those of us who are still getting up and breathing every day, we still have life. And it's not about the life that we no longer have. But it's with the life that we have now and what we'll do with it now and in the future. Well, I was able to stay on a little longer than I had thought I would. Thank you for those who listened. Our topic today was my car accident, the importance of the Rio Olympics to the African diaspora, and Corinne games. We need to make some games. So thank you all. We'll be back hopefully next week at our record time. I'm about to go take some, some uh, muscle relaxers. 
and relaxed. Thank you again I'm out. for coming back. And yeah. we will see you all back here next week, 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. 3.30 out east. Be safe, everybody. Right. Enjoy the Olympics. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.